Philly Built is brought to you by phillyzoning.com, which is powered by Anastasio Law, a boutique real estate and zoning law firm in the Rittenhouse Square neighborhood of Philadelphia. I'm waiting for something bad to happen all the time, so it's I'll be happy when I'm not here, when I'm not mayor and I can enjoy some stuff. You're looking forward to not being mayor? Yeah. Today, many people who live in Philly tell us they were stunned to hear the mayor express that sentiment. He should resign if he doesn't want to be mayor. He's tired, like he wanted to just give up. So let somebody else be mayor that want to do the job right now. So there's a level of frustration. Speaking one-on-one with Eyewitness News, former Philly mayor and former Pennsylvania governor Ed Rendell admitted there were times when he felt so frustrated he wanted to step down from the mayor's office himself. And when I was mayor, I remember saying a number of times, this is hopeless. Uh, we can't turn this city around. What am I killing myself for? But I woke up the next morning and I was determined to go battle and try to change things. But watch what happens when we knock directly on the mayor's office door. You can hear what sounds like someone locking the door. Hi folks, Vern Anastasio here from Philly Built and welcome back. On January 2nd, 2024, Sherelle Parker officially took the oath of office as the 100th mayor of the city of Philadelphia, making her the first female to serve as mayor of the second largest city on America's East Coast. In her inauguration address, she pledged to make Philly the safest, cleanest, and greenest big city in the country. But. How does she plan to do that? Today on Philly Built, government relations professional Lee Whitaker joins us to explore what to expect when you're expecting Mayor Sherelle Parker. Right now on Philly Built. Lee Whitaker, welcome to Philly Built. Hi, Vern. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's start at the beginning. Uh, Just recently... Mayor-elect Parker announced her big three. Yep. Uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the three folks who would be helping her on the daily, you know, run the city. And it was Tiffany uh, Thurman was announced as her chief of staff. Uh, I may butcher this person's first name, Sincere Harris. Sinceri. Sinceri Harris as Deputy Mayor for Intergovernmental Affairs, Sustainability uh, and Engagement, and Aaron Platt, Deputy of Planning and Strategic Initiatives. Uh, What do those choices say about what we might expect? Um, I think... uh that those three people have a combination of, I think, skill sets that are a little different. Um, you know, Tiffany certainly has worked inside government. Sinceri has worked mostly on the political side. And Aaron, who hasn't worked in government uh, at all, has done a lot of campaign stuff, but has also been an executive, right? And so that signals to me that Sherelle, right, somebody who has lots of government experience, you know, having been a staffer in city council, having been a uh, a member of the general assembly and haven't been, um, you know, a a council member before being elected, you know, that tells me that she is thinking about doing things very differently, right? Um, That, that she wants to sort of um, 
look at things outside the box. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's good to take a look outside of government and people that have done different things and worked in the private sector that bring different ideas and strategies to, you know, a a big bureaucracy, which is what the city is, right? And so I'm excited about... um, you know, the, the also the also idea that there's sort of a big three tells me that she's also thinking about a more, you know, like a different management structure, one that's more collaborative, one that is more um, keeping in line with really who Sherelle is. And so um, I'm excited. I, I am really excited. I'm excited. Um, I think she's going to be a great cheerleader. I think all of those people around her, again, bring very different skill sets and are all really good people. I don't know. Um, Tiffany and Aaron sort of as well. I've met Aaron. I've met Tiffany once or twice. Um, I've known Sinceri for a few years, um, but all of them are smart, capable, talented. Um, and, and I think the other thing that we sort of overlook sometimes is it's not just about um, the skill sets that people bring. It's also about the fit, right? And so these are folks that Sherelle trusts that she's worked with for a long time. Um, and I think that, you know, you know, sometimes half of it is half of any job is showing up and liking the people that you work with. Right. It makes it a whole lot easier to get other stuff done. So. And you said that this selection, which is unusual uh, to pick three people to to help her run the government um, speaks a lot about the kind of person she is. So I guess let's back up. Let's go 38,000 feet on that. What kind of person, what kind of leader, uh, based on your experience, uh, will a Mayor Parker be? So I've known Mayor Parker a long time. Um, She and I were both staffers in city council in the early 2000s. She worked for Councilmember Tasco. I worked for uh, then Councilman Clark, now Council President Clark. Um, And the thing I will say about her is she does her homework. She has always been smart, always been prepared. She reads everything. She wants to understand what the issues are. Um, And I think the other thing for me is that she has always brought in a lot of other people and a lot of other um, sort of voices and expertise and skill sets into those conversations. She has been very, very collaborative that's what I know about her. She was collaborative as a staffer. You know, that's how she and I got to know each other. We got to work together. Um, she most certainly was collaborative when she was in the house and culminated in her being the chair of the Philadelphia delegation. Um, and I know so many people across, I mean, friends that I, that I've worked with over the years, but also folks that I've met along the way that work with her in Harrisburg and other places that talk about just how collaborative she is, how she doesn't make that she ultimately will make a decision, but she does solicit the input of people um, who have the skills and have the experience and maybe know some things that she doesn't know or know some, or, you know, has some other, you know, abilities that she may not have brings those folks into the fold um, to, to get some perspective and some input that helps ultimately inform the decision that she's going to make. I mean, you can see how she did that, you know, with the parking, um, folks when she was in city council, um, you know, lots of work around middle neighborhoods and commercial corridors and all of that stuff was her 
working with Commerce Department, working with the chambers, working with various organizations around the city to sort of make those things happen. And so um, I'm happy to know that she won't make decisions in a vacuum. <laughs> you know, she will reach out to the right folks and have the right kinds of conversations um, as she moves forward. And listen, she's going to, you know, she's been talking the last, you know, couple of months, you know, about one Philly um, and talking a lot about how, you know, she's going to need everybody. This city is going to need everybody working together toward, toward this common goal. And I believe that, that that's going to be her strategy because it always has been her strategy. And I think she's not, you know, she understands that the challenges facing the city of Philly right now are big and hard and difficult and you need people around you um, that are excited about it, that you're excited about, you know, sort of keep those things um, moving forward. Let's talk about, um, you mentioned her uh, her focus on commercial corridors. So uh, let's focus there for a moment. She just recently named Alba Martinez uh, mm-hmm. as the commerce director, and she's a known quantity in this city. She, for sure. Folk, so what does that say about uh, Mayor Parker's uh, commitment to commerce uh, and to the business community uh, to put Alba there and, uh, you know, n- and not someone else that uh, folks may not know. Alba's a real leader uh, For in sure. many respects. So what does that say about uh, Mayor Parker's commitment to the business community and uh, making Philadelphia more business friendly, uh, particularly small business friendly. I mean, I think it's a, a huge signal, um, you know, coming from Vanguard, particularly the work that Alba has been doing, I think really sends a message that, you know, we, that, that Philadelphia is open for business, right? <laughs> that we are going to, um, I think, uh, do a better job at um, attracting and retaining businesses in the city of Philadelphia. I think Alba also brings a unique perspective because she also knows how the city works, right? So you don't have somebody coming in from the private sector sort of blind to how operating department, you, you've got somebody that has a wealth of knowledge in both of those areas and can figure out how to make those things work. You know, we I, we've been talking a lot about... Um, um, I'm on one of the transition teams, uh, education subcommittees, um, and though I can't, I'm not at liberty to share our conversations. One of the one of the themes that keeps sort of coming up is that they, these issues are hard. You know that you know human beings tend to take the path of least resistance, right? And so the minute you get in a room and you're trying to parse through an issue and, you know, you've got union concerns or you've got, you know, other financial challenges, you know, other things that are, that seem to be prohibitive, right? A lot of times what we do is we give up. We go, okay, we can't do that because it's too hard. So we walk away, right? Alba, though, is not a person, you know, I don't know her well. I worked with her a little bit when I was, you know, both in city council and at the school district, but she is not a person that gives up and walks away. And so that she understands how government works and comes from the private sector and really with a focus on business and development. Um, I, I, I mean, I think, again, it, it, all of these picks for me speaks to who Sherelle is, um, how, she, what her sort of plan is for the city over the next couple of years and putting the right people that have varying, you know, skill set. It's not always, you know, I always tell people, um, when, when you talk about leadership, right, 
you know, for example, right? You, you're a guy that maybe drove the trash truck for 20 years, right? And then you become the guy that like supervises the guy that the guys that drive the trash trucks, that job is not the same. And just because you know how to drive the trash truck does not mean that you know how to supervise the folks who drive the trash truck. And so when I think about how Sherelle has been very strategic about picking her team, it's less about what job somebody held before and more about the skills that those this person brings to the table. Getting into the meeting is half the battle, right? And so right. they all have good relationships and good reputations and that's going to serve, you know, this new administration very well. You talked about, you know, uh, the realization, uh, the conversation that some of these issues are hard. And um, many folks, at least in the past, have sort of just, you know, thrown up their hands and uh you know and you said that alba's not one of them as our future commerce director uh cheryl's certainly not one of them uh one of the issues that is really hard uh right now that we are looking at uh is the 76ers arena proposed Mm -hmm. arena (laughs) on east market street Um, and i guess talk about something that's difficult you know because you've got um what appears to be a $1.5 billion investment in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and, but you also have a whole lot of folks who live uh, right around there, who uh, operate businesses right around there, and those who support those folks who under no circumstance wants to see it built uh, on East Market Street. So I guess, how do you think a Mayor Parker is going to handle this very difficult uh, proposal. I think there will be a number of things that happen next year. PIDC has got a study. Um, there'll be additional CDR meetings and other things. I think that Sherelle, like she has done everything else, will take a look at what the studies say. We'll take a look at, you know, we'll listen to what the constituents say, particularly the near neighbors, because they are the ones who will have to endure, right, the construction and the and the games and sort of all the events that happen there. Um, and I think she will make a decision based on sort of which list is longer, are the pros longer or the cons longer, right? And, and, and I think she will also look and say, of the things that are positive or negative, is there a way to sort of mitigate those? Are there alternative um you know, options out there, um, you know, how do we sort of manage this? And I think, I think she'll be very thoughtful about, um, what the, what decision she, you know, which, which way she decides to go. Um, and I think that her decision will have a lot of influence about where city council sort of ends up, um, in, yeah. in that conversation. And so we're not out of ideas for Market East if we don't build a Sixers Arena there, right? Like there's, you know, it's, this is like, you know, it's a new day, right? We got a new city council and new mayoral administration. You know, we can think of other ways and other things that can happen along that corridor. It's not all or nothing, you know? It's not like this or we die, right? Like we can think well, through what some other options can be. Not to get too far down into that rabbit hole, but yeah, it's in fact uh, a, que- a follow-up question that I had for my last guest. If we're not going to have 76 place there, you know, are there other ideas? Now, obviously, um, those ideas that were proffered by that guest were, you know, 
nothing that would generate tax revenue or be you know, economically sustainable, you know, public schools and, uh, right. and nonprofit things. But I think there can be a happy medium between um, nonprofit organizations that bring nothing to the financially, nothing to the table for the city of Philadelphia and the basketball arena that uh, could bring a whole lot of, of mess uh, to that part of the city. Right. So maybe there's something in between. We yeah. will see. Yeah. Another hard issue, uh, a tough one, of course, is public safety. Yes. Uh, and it's the number one issue on most voters' minds at the time that they voted uh, for mayor and the Democratic primary, which is why I, I do believe one of the major reasons why uh, Ms. Parker uh, was elected. What does her pick of Kevin Bethel say about how policing and uh, and crime prevention uh, may look different in a Parker administration than it did and has under a Kenny administration. So I think the issue of, you know, public safety is rife with lots of challenges, right? There are issues of race. There are issues of class, Um There is in some, you know, there's a need to sort of balance, you know, criminal justice reform with rooting out lawlessness. I think Sherelle is unique in being able to have those conversations because she's a black woman raising a black son. Right. And so the challenges and the experiences for her are different than are different, could be different, you know, for, for her as compared to some other folks. Um, I think that, you know, the communities in Philadelphia that are largely, um, you know, under siege for lack of a better way to describe it, um, are people who largely look like her. And, you know, I think she feels, um, you know, again, the need to sort of make sure that we that everybody feels safe. You know, it's not just about Center City. We certainly need a thriving, active business corridor, but we also need for communities, particularly Black and Brown communities across the city, right, to feel safe. Right there are there are a small group of folks who are perpetuating, you know, lots of these lots of this criminal activity, but there are other folks in those communities who are just trying to go to work and raise their kids and, you know, and, 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 and live happily, you know, and not be the victim and and be able to go outside. It's absolutely majority of the folks, majority of those folks. And so Kevin Bethel for me signals a person that is serious about holding people accountable for the crimes that they commit. But also he's a guy that understands that you got to do some other things for certain for certain groups of folks that he has experience in sort of juvenile detention issues. He's worked at the school district the last few years, but was also a cop for 30 years. Right. And so he, I think he sort of understands the nuance of some of those race and class issues um, that I think will help inform a policing strategy um, for the city. One that is not soft on crime, right. One that is, um, you know, all about holding people accountable for the activity and, and, you know, for the bad things that they do, but also recognizing that there may be some pockets or some opportunities, you know, for the city to enhance 
um, or expand some of the crime prevention stuff that they're doing, some of the work they're doing with kids who are at risk. And so I, you know, for me, Kevin Bethel to me was like, you know what, this guy has like the right balance of the things that we think this city needs, right? He's not going to be soft, but he also recognized there's some other things, some other work that needs to happen, um, you know, in schools with kids, with kids who are at risk, um, that I think helps that other strategy. You know, before Mayor Kenny, I think it's safe to say that the administrations prior, at least from the 90s on, there was a when it came to crime prevention, the broken window theory seemed to be one that uh, was the driving force. You go after the small mm-hmm. stuff, and that sends a message message that we care enough to go after the small stuff, and that therefore then will prevent uh, some more serious crimes from, from taking place. Um, however, there were built-in problems with that broken window theory that we found out because uh, some folks took that as carte blanche to be really aggressive yep. uh, in the way they police. So then we went from broken window to sort of a disorder tolerance. <laughs> that's right. something I just came up with, you know, where uh, the ATVs are allowed to uh, go in and out of traffic, uh, you know, on Broad Street that the cars are allowed to drag race and spin out on Delaware Avenue, that the shoplifter is allowed to go free, and hopefully they don't come back and stab someone to death. Um, Will there be a balance now, do you think, with a Parker administration somewhere between broken window and disorder tolerance? I think so. I mean, I think think what she wants, if I can... If I can try to <laughs> put it in my own words, I think yeah. what she wants is accountability to both, right? I think she wants accountability for people who are not doing the right thing, but also accountability to communities, right? And so you got to have a balance there. It can't be all, you know, we live in a world right now where, um, you know, you, you can be on one side or the other. Nobody can. You got to be blue or red. Nobody can be purple. Um, where you either believe this set of talking points or the other. There can never be any sort of nuance. And I think that some of what Sherelle brings to this entire conversation is that it's not all or nothing. It's not one way or the other. That there's got to be some balance. And, um, you know, so at the same time, we don't want you harassing, you know, kids walking home from school who aren't doing anything, we also are going to arrest the kids who are doing out there doing stuff, right? Just that there has to be a, accountability has to go both ways. It can't be all or nothing. It can't be one-sided. Um, and so I do, again, you know, this is how I've known Sherelle to be, you know, as long as I've known her. Um, and I'm sort of, and I think everybody is sort of looking forward. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in the city right now that goes, you know, I just want, I want to live, you know, in a police state, right? You know, everybody should be locked up. We should, I don't think that, but, but people are feeling like there's this sense of like lawlessness that is happening that nobody is really paying attention to or caring about, right? And so we got to come back to the middle here, right? Right? You know, when I think about Kensington and I am not at all, qualified to make any suggestion about what should happen there but there needs to be a balance right there are people in that community that say these folks need help we don't want these folks in prison 
or in jail. We want them to get the services and the help and the assistance they need. But I also want to be able to walk down the street, right? It can't be all or nothing, right? It can't be all, you know, I can't walk down the street. I'm not a prisoner in this community, right? But we also can't round everybody up and take them to jail, right? And so what are we going to do, right? How do we find sort of a middle ground that makes everybody feel like we're on the right track, we're moving in the right direction, and that there's accountability across the board, you know, for everyone? Unfortunately, uh, any decisive action that differs from what has happened so far uh, is going to probably probably make at least some folks uncomfortable. Uh, For sure. You know, you know, any decision, any policy change, any sort of action is um, is not going to please everybody. Well, and nothing, you know, you can't please all the people all the time. I mean, I think that's part of Sherelle's sort of, you know, strength is that she will do all the research and include all the folks and then ultimately make the decision and she'll stand on that. I'm listen, I'm sorry. Here's what I did to get to this decision. I know that not everybody is happy about it, but nobody's ever going to be happy about everything. Right. We got to move on. Right. Speaking of moving on your, um, things have gotten interesting at your last employers. Uh, Whew, uh, for sure. Place, uh, University of Pennsylvania. It is the second largest employer after the city government itself. Uh, in the city of Philadelphia, yep. more people work for Penn than for anybody else outside of City Hall. Uh, so how Penn operates and thrives is very important to the city of Philadelphia. And um, the former president of Penn recently had a step down uh, due to uh, her uh, unfortunate performance, I guess uh, you'd, you'd say, uh, 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 during a congressional uh, hearing, questioning. So now we have a new president, uh, and what? Who's? He's, you know, he's claimed it uh, and says, and I think everyone has uh, good reason to believe him that he wants to begin the, the journey and the path to healing uh, at Penn. And of course, Penn is just a microcosm of the larger. Society, yep. as it relates to uh, the current um, dust up in the Middle East, um, what role do you think a mayor Parker will have in working with Penn uh, on this healing process? I mean, I think in the short term, they've got to do some internal work. I mean, I think um, you know because you know there there are factions, you know, trustee factions and donor factions and faculty fashion, factions and fortunately the students are now gone, you know, for so that sort of takes some of that, you know, air out of the conversation. Um, so I think in the short term, Penn's got some internal stuff to do. Um, I do think that um, Larry Jameson is sort of the right person. He's been at Penn and he's been the dean for a long time. He's part of the executive committee. He knows how Penn operates. Um, he's a doctor, you know, so he's like, he's got like healing in his, you know, in his very nature. And so I think, you know, him sort of moving forward and, um, you know, getting the noise down, creating some stability, focusing on the task force and some other things um, that they have to do. Um, is sort of paramount for the next, you know, six, nine months. I think beyond that, um, certainly they will need the support of the city. You know, as you mentioned, Penn is the uh, biggest uh, private employer. And frankly, the city will need 
the, the support of Penn, you know, to do some of the things that the mayor wants to do around education, around public-private partnerships, around all of those things. And so I think long-term, you know, Sherelle is a, a Penn, excuse me, Mayor Parker is a Penn alum. Um, and so I think in the long term, there will be lots of opportunities for them to partner on various and sundry things, whether it be school programs or community based programs. But I think in the short term, we got to let Penn sort of, you know, he, you know, we got to let put the neosporin on, you know, like let it heal internally before we start talking about sort of a larger role for the city and Penn to do together. I think they've got some. You know, it's kind of like when the family fights, right? You got to get the family all on the same page first before we let in, you know, the neighbors. Talked about education uh, and uh, Mayor Parker's ideas and plans for education. One of them during the uh, the campaign was about the year year round schooling for uh, for for kids in uh, primary school and high school. Um, how do you think that? will play out or unfold. I know you have a professional history with the school district as well. Uh, talk about that and talk about the, the idea uh, that it's, uh, you know, and the likelihood. So, well, I, I never, I'm not a betting person, even though I used to work for a casino. Right. <laughs> so, you, I was, I wasn't even going to bring that up. I am not a casino fan. And I was, she worked for Rivers? Come on. <laughs> I did. That's okay. I, or for That's almost okay. 10 years, hey. too. Like, I was there a long hey. time. Um, so, I, you know, the idea of year-round school to me makes sense. I've always thought it was a good idea. And this is just my, per, you know, I'm not an educator. I'm not an expert on these things. But, I, and, and so year round school doesn't mean that kids are in uh, school every single day, three, you know, for every 12, all 12 of the months. It, it means that you sort of break up um, the summer, you know, you go, you don't go to school nine months and then have three months off, right? Or you play for three months, you know, over the summer because you're going to camp or, you know, doing sports or whatever, but you're not reading or practicing math. And so I think that there is sort of a lot of, you know, a lot of argument for having learning and play together all year round, right? With, with kids having a sort of, you know, a, a, a couple of weeks off every three months as opposed to, or whatever the, you know, schedule ends up being, as opposed to like, you know, oh, hey, June is done. We don't learn anymore until September. Like we play all summer. Like that sort of doesn't um, make sense. You know, there's this real thing called the summer slide that I think she's trying um, to avoid. But, but also I think that year round school sort of plays into sort of where school is going, right? So I, I uh, chair the board of a charter school um, here in Philly, KIPP Charter Schools, and one of their boards. And we now, we most recently changed our, the name of our board committee used to be academics to school health. Because what we've learned, right, and what we are finally sort of adjusting to is that it's, it's not just about test scores and that if kids if we're not addressing kids and families like social emotional needs, right, they they don't learn well, right? If you're hungry or tired, some of these kids are coming from, you know, communities that are experiencing trauma. We just talked about Kensington, right? It makes learning harder. And so in my mind, right, and this is just me, Lee, you know, Lee Whitaker making a prediction, right? <laughs> 
the idea of year round school sort of fits in with this idea that school isn't just about math and reading like school is also about emotional intelligence it's about mental health it's about behavioral supports it's about supporting families and communities and that's not to suggest that the school district is is responsible to do all those things the school district most certainly is chiefly responsible for you know teaching kids how to read right um but that there are all these other supports in the city right that kids and families and communities need um to have kids and families and communities be health healthy and sort of year round school to me fits into that very neatly in that if we figure out how to combine and, and collaborate and sort of have all of those agencies and partners, you know, nonprofits and other government entities working together on school health, school and community health, which includes academics and includes, you know, making sure kids are proficient in reading, but it also addresses some of the other supports that kids and families and communities need. And they need them nine, you know, 12 months a year, not just, you know, nine months and then we take the summer off. And so I'm not going to make a prediction about whether it's likelihood, likely, because again, it's one of those things that is hard, right? The world is set up such that, you know, the the business world is set up such that we kind of take it easy in the summer because, you know, kids are out of school. So it does take a shift in a lot of different systems. There are union issues, certainly. There are building facility issues, certainly. You know, a lot of the schools in Philadelphia don't have air conditioning. Like, you can't have kids in 100-degree buildings all summer. And so, you know, I don't think it's something that happens overnight, but I think it's something that if we all put our collective minds and energies and resources towards, we can come up with some viable way to have school, have healthy schools and families all year round. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a point that I had not even thought of uh, until you brought it up, but you know, treating trauma, uh, addressing stress and anxiety reduction, um, partaking conflict resolution skills to young people. All of these things can pay dividends years down the road, uh, especially when it comes to what we talked about earlier, crime prevention. Yep. Right? So the idea of a school year-round and using that as an opportunity for some of these programs um, be they city programs or private public partnership, um, you know, mechanisms that that could be very encouraging. For sure. And, and to be clear, right. Teachers needed to, I mean, we need some supports in classrooms for teachers. Teaching is hard. And so, you know, when I think about school health, I mean, it's the health of all the Things, all the people and places and things that go into sort of a healthy school environment. Yeah, I don't know if the teachers union is going to agree right. uh, that, they, that they need that. And they're pretty strong in this town. For sure. Uh, all the unions are strong in this town. Is there evidence that she has the skill to work with and through issues as they relate to organized labor? Absolutely. I do. I mean, she's, you know, she's sort of proved that, you know, um, when she worked through some of the 
parking attendant issues, you know, with SEIU, SEIU, you know, supported her, but she's never been a person that will do everything that SEIU wants or do what that will do everything that the building trades wants. You know, she certainly recognizes that those are important partners, they're important to the city, they're important to the growth of the city, right? The growth of those middle class jobs we just talked about. But I do think that she has a very different She's not like, I'm going to do everything you say. She's going to say, well, what about this? Well, have we considered this? Like, what's going to be the compromise position, right? How does that, you know, I always say, I always describe it like this, right? I always say the test of a successful negotiation is when everybody walks away moderately unhappy, right? Nobody got everything they want. Everybody got something, not all, but everybody's moderately unhappy. They're equally unhappy, right? And I think Sharon comes from that perspective too. It's like, it can't be, you know, again, the whole idea of balance. I'm going to start calling her Mayor Mayor Balance Parker. Um, I think the whole idea that, you know, there there's more than just one perspective to consider. Um, and I think she spent a career doing that and pushing back and saying, no, that doesn't make sense. We can't do all of that how about we do this and we work on maybe doing this other thing in the future if this changes or if the circumstances, you know, become different. And so I think she's going to attack everything like that. Right. Do I think that she'll get everything that she wants? Maybe not. Right. I'm certainly hoping for her and rooting for her. But again, some of these things are hard. Circumstances are going to change. There are going to be other things that happen as in every mayoral administration, something terrible, not terrible, but you know, some thing outside of your control happens, you know, look always, at, look at Jim always. Kenny and COVID, right. You know, something is going to happen that's outside of her control that she may have to shift her, shift her focus on. Um, but certainly, you know, if all things considered, if all the stars align and, and, and everything goes well, she can do all the things. She has the skill set um, and the respect and the, ability to collaborate to do all the things that she wants to do one of the cool things that is going to be happening while sherelle parker is our mayor is 2026 yes big year company is coming as my mother would say break out the pound cake right we've got, <laughs> right. We've got america's 250th birthday you know right here in america's birthplace uh we've got the baseball all-star game coming we've got the world cup yep there's a whole lot of stuff going on at 2026 um and i know you are uh, affiliated with uh, welcome america so what is that going to look like and how uh will do you think uh, how will mayor parker put her stamp uh on what i hope will be a massive celebration that folks from around the world will come to? Well, she's got a 2026, you know, subcommittee, transition subcommittee. So it is something that is certainly on the top of our mind. I mean, the good news for us is that we've done large events in Philly. Like we know how to do it. We had the Pope, you know, we had the NBA draft or was the NBA, NFL, whatever. <laughs> um, NFL, NFL draft. You know, so we, we are big, used yeah. to, you know, hosting large groups of people and bringing large groups of people to the city. Welcome America does the concert on the parkway every year. And so we are not a city that shies away from opening the doors. I mean, the good news is, you know, lots of folks around the city, lots of hospitality folks, you know, the mayor's office now has their own subcommittee. There's a whole bunch of people across the city that are working. Um, to on 2026 plans. I recently introduced Thomas Young, who's the new CEO of the World Trade Center. 
um, with uh, Michael Delbane because Delbane, the, Michael Delbane is on the Philly 250 committee. You know, so I, I think Mayor Parker will first and foremost, here I go again, right, because this is her, her middle name. She'll make sure that all those people are talking to each other, right, so that we have a coordinated series of events, you know, for 2026 that, um, you know, that are branded and everybody's t- t- speaking from one sort of script and that we open the doors, uh, you know, to the world, to Philadelphia. Um, uh, so she's not going to get on the radio or television and scare the bejeebus out of people the way Michael Nutter did when the Pope was supposed to come. Right? I highly doubt she will do that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Because that sort of backfired. That sort of backfired. <laughs> but again, and, you, you know, know and, and the folks around her, you know, Giselle Jones, um, who's a deputy manager director, does all the events. She's been here through all of it, right? And so there are still lots of people in the state administration that will continue to be here that knows how to get these events done, that knows how to showcase Philadelphia for the world. And so, again, Mayor Parker's worried about public safety. We'll resolve all those issues, right? And we'll be ready, you know, for 2026 to showcase Philly to the world. When this is done, when the Parker administration is leaving, let's say in eight years, Mm -hmm. what do you think this city is going to be like? What do you think she will have been able to accomplish uh, and deliver uh, to the citizens of Philadelphia? I think the Sixers will still be playing basketball somewhere. <laughs> not sure where. Um, Camden? <laughs> I'm hoping it's not Camden, though. Um, no, in all seriousness, um, you know, I, I think some of the excitement is around sort of a lot of things, right? Um, not the least of which is we just all live through the apocalypse. And it's only been, you know, I feel like the last couple of months where we really felt like we're sort of back to normal. So I think a lot of this excitement is around like, oh, my God, thank God that is over right now. We can, you know, rebuild our lives and, you know, move forward. Um, I think eight years from now, you have um, a little bit. I think you have a, a better school system. I think you have a plan to address the facilities issues in the school district. Maybe not all of them are resolved. Maybe not, you know, we build a hundred new schools in the next eight years, but certainly there's a phased approach and a plan to sort of move that forward. And that facilities plan also includes right sizing. It includes, you know, maybe we got to close some of these buildings and repurpose them. We got to co-locate some programs. Like we got to make it make sense, right? From a from a resource standpoint, from a financial standpoint, from an operational standpoint, right? So I think we've, um, I think we are cleaner. I think we're greener. I think we're safer. I think we have convinced, you know, businesses to grow and expand, to bring all their workers back to town, you know, <laughs> for folks. That, and I don't know that we're ever going to go back to five, I think maybe five days a week is that ship is probably sailed, right? But we do get to some place where lots of people are back in the city. The city downtown corridors are thriving again. The neighborhood commercial corridors are thriving. Um, and people are feeling good about, um, you know, we will have had the success of 2026 and showcasing, you know, Philadelphia to the world. And I think that in, in eight years, we are a bigger, better, stronger 
and certainly different looking city, right? Because there's something getting built on every corner. I mean, I, you know, when I drive down Spring Garden Street, I almost don't recognize it from one month to the next. I'm like, where do they build all these yeah. buildings, right? And so I think yeah. that will continue. Um, you know, development in the city will continue. I mean, Philadelphia is a really unique place um, in that we sit halfway between New York and D.C., um, we are a city that, you know, while people sort of accuse Philadelphia of being a little bit, you know, pedestrian, a little parochial, we are a city that has weathered a lot of really big storms in a lot of ways that other cities like Seattle and Portland places have it. And I think that's a testament to sort of our grittiness, you know, our sort of underdog. And so I don't want us to give that up. Um, because I do think there are some things that are special about Philadelphia that allows us to have the largest population of low-income homeowners, right? You know, those are the kinds of things that make us who we are. And so we want to strengthen those things, not change them completely, right? And so I think we're a stronger city. We're a bigger city. We're a safer city. You know, our commercial corridors are thriving again. Sherelle drives off into the, you know, her kids in college, she she goes off into the sunset and we're all the better for it. That's well, that my sounds, prediction. That sounds absolutely <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> we, there may be some bumps along the way. Uh, well, listen, uh, to, be, to be a realist. There's to be always going to be but, bumps. No, there's absolutely yeah. going to be bumps. Um, there always is, you know, we are, clearly it's not going to be utopia. And again, a lot of these things are really, really hard. Yeah, but I think are. I think I think what matters is she knows they're hard and she still wants to do it. <laughs> right. Any, anybody who actually wants to, right. to run this town, <laughs> more power to you. Absolutely. You know, like she you. knows how hard it is and she still wants to do it. And you know what? That's 60 percent of it right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it'll be a little bit of an improvement, actually, having a mayor who wants to be there. So I didn't say that. Um, I did. <laughs> Lee Whitaker, thank you so very much for joining thank us today. You. This has been on great. Philly Built. It was a real pleasure, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Yay! Good. Take good care. Thank you. Bye now. And that's it for today's show, folks. We really hope you enjoyed it. Join us next time on Philly Built. Until then. If you have any questions about zoning in Philadelphia, please visit phillyzoning.com. Thank you.